0: that becomes a premier destination for all at every level in their careers. When you join the Author's Porch, we want you to think of us as a beacon of light, bringing you home to a porch where your family is waiting to usher you in to your greatness. From live cast to podcast, blog posts, and most recently, the magazine, the Author's Porch brings promotional services and advice to authors to get their writing published. Whatever the issue, the Author's Porch connects writers with a service desire to create their dreams into reality. Hey everybody, happy Saturday. We are here on a Saturday, which is unusual, but we are so excited to be here. I want to welcome Clive Rose to the Author's Porch. Hi, how are you doing today, Clive?
1: I'm I'm doing pretty well for 5 a.m. On a, on a sunday for me so it's it's good
0: yeah so we often times change our days and our times because our international friends are super important to us um so 5 a.m is when I woke up this morning uh, but I don't know if I could have jumped right on a podcast at 5 a.m so you are my hero right now I just want to tell you that <laughs>
1: oh, it's it, it, I'm, I'm getting quite used to it i i, I did one yesterday as well and you get used to it. It's fine.
0: Wow. Um,
1: besides, like, there's not a lot. I went to bed very early. That was my, my, you know, I was like, I'm getting up really early. I have to go to bed at 10. So I'll, when I'm done, I'll go for a run, and that will actually be good because otherwise I might find an excuse not to do that. So it's it's helpful. You're helping me keep fit, so I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Oh, yes. I'm glad that there is. I'm helping. I like to help. (laughs) So everybody, let me introduce you properly to Clive. Uh, Clive Rose has been writing historical romance fiction for the best part of two decades. She works in the historical romance, fantasy and speculative fiction genres. When Clive isn't writing fiction before the pandemic, she could be found pounding the sand at just about any of the beautiful beaches near her Australian home she is also addicted to short-haul ocean swims and has a thing for poseidon the ancient greek god of the seas much of the inspiration for her stories are drawn from the ocean landscapes near her home one of her novels was long listed for a 2010 hatchet award for fiction while her paranormal short story the one below is a sexy scribbles award-winning piece First, let me say congratulations, because that is no easy feat to have those amazing books uh, under in your your arsenal, for a lack of better words. So what an amazing career, two decades. Wow. What um, what got you writing historical romance fiction? Um, Well,
1: I'm a little obsessed with history, to be honest. I love it. Um, I tend to find out odd little facts, even strange words and go Um, what we call in author research down a rabbit hole as I figure something out and the more you go into a a concept or something, the more you learn and then I'm like, oh, I need to put that in a story. I need to build something around that and sometimes they're long stories and sometimes they're short stories and sometimes they're short stories and you realise there's more there. Honestly, I think there's always more there. It's just a matter of what works in the piece you're doing and how you're doing it Um, and then, then, the characters just literally come to me and they stay. I cannot get rid of them. It's like it's like having someone constantly knocking at your door, but they're knocking at your brain. I'm like, I want to get it out. So I start to write them out. And sometimes, honestly, sometimes it peters out and I write like 10,000 words and nothing, like it's nothing. I'm like, that's rubbish. I'm not going to touch that. Or there might be a, a thing, a kernel in there that you're like, okay, the rest of it's garbage. But that little side character, there's story there. I'm taking that. I'm putting them in a show of their own and see what happens. So some writers are really organized and they're like, I'm writing about this. I've researched these plot points. I've written it all out. I know one author, to be fair, they write crime, which does require a lot of plotting. And he writes 15,000 word treatment before he even starts a book. I'm like, that's amazing. That sounds fabulous. But if I'm writing 15,000 words,
0: it's straight into the book.
1: So I'm not not, not spending that time on pre work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't do the pre-work because I, I'm like you, like they're, they're gnawing in your brain and it's like, they're just gnawing at you and you're like, okay, okay. I'm going to write it. I'm going to put it on the, the screen. Okay. Just, and yeah. until you do, they won't shut up. Right. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so yeah. And there's so many stories from history that aren't, aren't told or glossed over or hidden. And um, I, I, I like, the, I like finding out those stories. Um, my debut novel grew out of basically wanting to know who else was there in Regency England. I was like, it can't all just be how it's been presented. There must be more. And, of course, there always is. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking for the, the – Don't get a lot of light. And, and that's because I find that – that's where I, I find those perspectives a little more interesting because they're – usually looked at or they haven't been looked at for hundreds of years and I think there's a time where that's becoming people are looking more for those other viewpoints and I think that's great but I don't think they are other I think they've always been there and we just need to look at them to um learn them basically and learn from
0: them yeah so you're looking into the history um and those those side characters so to say from the history and learning more about what's been going on with them and then writing things based off of what's been happening kind of behind the scenes
1: yeah um it's only behind the scenes to the like the way it's been put the way history is presented is very curated generally Mm -hmm. speaking yeah um i remember in high school my favorite subject was ancient history um and i i you know ancient greece ancient egypt And what I loved about it most was so little is known that a lot of it's conjecture, which is basically making up stories. Like we think this is what this tablet is telling us, but we don't know for sure, but this is what we think it says. So really that's not (laughs) historical at all. That's (laughs) fiction. Or it could be fiction. No one's sure. Like that's fabulous. I love that space. That's, that's the interesting world-building space for me. It's like, you know, standing at the pyramids and wondering if they are sending signals to outer space. Nobody knows for sure. And that's, that's where the stories are. That's where the stories can come from. Yeah. Um, and and the it's all very well to look at the societies that kept records and look at those records, but what about the people who lived in those societies that aren't in the records? Like in ancient Greece where people say Athens was a town of so many citizens. Well, that's all very well, but they didn't count the slaves and they didn't count the women and they were there. Mm-hmm. They were there. So, you know, um, there are stories around that as well. Yeah, um, ancient Pompeii, where there's little bits of graffiti that have been preserved, goes to show you that the prostitutes and the thieves—they—they—they they, they left their mark too. It's just not reported in the official, beautiful histories because those lives were not necessarily officially beautiful.
0: Right, people- and they had such a rich um, history. When you when you dig into a lot of those, you find such a rich history. They're mm-hmm. so colorful as well. And I find it I find it fascinating. Um what was your first book that you published? Um
1: the first book that I published was that's my debut novel came out last year. A whole better Always a Princess, which is set uh-huh. in Regency, England. Uh-huh. Um in Lancashire.
0: <coughs> Oops, sorry, my dog's I,
1: I have one too. He's just he doesn't get up this early. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at him, I said, You want to come in? And he just was like,
0: hmm.
1: He's in he's in his little fluffy ball. He's his cutest he look. Oh. Um So um I call him my writing buddy. Um what? he knows more of my plot points than anyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, you talk to him, don't you? You're like, What do you think I about really this? Yeah.
1: He doesn't like to be alone, so where he finds me wherever I'm doing and he just sits down next to me.
0: Mm. They've um, got pillows. <laughs>
1: It's, it's been great. I mean, the pandemic. I'll tell you what, the pandemic's been a boon for dogs, and, mm-hmm. and any pet that doesn't like to be left alone while you go out to work, is thinks it's Christmas right now. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I in in Aust- Jane Austen's Emma, um there is this chapter thirty nine where her, her characters, some of her side characters, get attacked by gypsies, and I never liked the way she treated them in the text. Now, I'm not calling austin out the woman's been dead for 200 years may she rest in peace but i never liked the way the the romani or the roma they lived in in england throughout that period they've been in england for hundreds of years they Mm -hmm. shared that land and they appear so rarely and when they do it's always in a very negative way and i i don't know the character came into my head in defense of that when i i pitched the book to my publisher i pitched the uh, main character the woman um as a, a, Roma, a Romani Lizzie Bennett because I have some Romani heritage. It's not British, it's Russian, but, and, mm-hmm. and they're very different because they tend to, Roma tend to take on the culture of whatever country they're in, um, like a lot of culture within a culture of peoples. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I pitched it. And she's, she is, she's a bit like Lizzie, she says what she thinks, she doesn't really suffer fools very easily, all that sort of thing. But um. They lived in in Regency England, and they shared that country, and they had to put up with a lot, and they still do. They still do throughout Europe, actually. Yeah. And I was interested in these two different worlds, and the the fact that Austin treated them the way she did on the page got to me. Um, so that's where that the character came, and the story came from the character. Mm. So um, that was you... published in oh god, like a very long time ago now, twenty twenty. <laughs> September 2020.
0: Okay. Now, do you do you select the names of your characters, or do they basically select their own names?
1: A bit of both. Um, <laughs> the book is called Always a Princess, and the the her- the heroine's name is Sierra, which is Romany for princess. Now, that's okay. quite common to name children like that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the 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 hero's name is his name is Warwick, and he hates his name. And I remember starting to write Warwick, and like. They do talk to you. I know we must sound writers must sound insane to almost any normal person, and and he's like he kept saying, "Call me Will." Like seriously, call me Will. I, I can, There's no one would call him Warwick, except his father, who he doesn't get along with, and that forms a tension, a line of tension in the plot. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, uh, he 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 would refuse. He on having another name, a nickname that people that he wanted people to he he considered important to him to use. So his brother and his sister and his friends and eventually his his uh, wife use, oh, there's a spoiler for you, but it is a, a Regency romance, <laughs> um, <laughs> call him Will. Uh, but his father calls him Warwick and anyone official calls him Warwick. Even the servants aren't allowed to call him Warwick. He doesn't like it. Um, wow. And my favourite character isn't either the hero or his lady. It's the rather sarcastic, clever valet who is actually smarter than him. I think a lot of the the servants would have been smarter than their owners. <laughs> because I, they had so much more to worry about.
0: You know, I find that in most um, historical romances, um, I find that the servants tend to be, even in the any historical, whether it's crime, historical crimes, any of the historical fiction books, the servants tend to be, so farther ahead than the the owners they tend to be smarter wittier in the know all of that stuff and i i tend to just kind of like them they have this their own character plot all on their own that they could kind of yes i have a side off.
1: story in mind for the valet, who's who's really he'd be he'd be in the beginning of the story he's a little bit will he he's a little bit lost and he's a little bit well, he's the son of a duke, so he comes with his, the arrogance attendant on that position.
0: Yeah,
1: but he's also the second son, which relieves him a lot of a lot of uh, responsibilities. Yeah. Um, but he has a strong sense of honor, and and that tends to mark his behavior as more good than bad. But it, he's still pretty irresponsible, and it's his valet who covers his, he's literally literally covers his butt in the beginning. You know, coming in when you're due to be somewhere, get out of that woman's bed, let's get you together. let's get you out. <laughs> you know, and he covers his butt because that is his job as a valet. And every now and again he'll make a comment that shows he's really, really, it's like you're better than this dude. And he doesn't say it like that because he's his servant, but he's not thrilled by, by the man's behaviour. Because a lot of the um, officers went to war with their their valet or their, their man and he would mm-hmm. be there so he would have seen him in battle he he would have seen him in the war he would know what he's capable of and then he's got to come back and somehow reorient himself to society and behave like an english gentleman and not all i imagine that transition could not have been easy especially in a time where you weren't given any room for adjustment mm. you've been fighting the french and now you have to come back put on your breeches go to a ball and act like you're cool you know like nothing's changed when you, if you've been in in, in the the rather sense of battle in the 1800s you probably have changed so yeah. you know the, the the young debutantes expecting exactly the same kind of men who went off to the war to come back and bow and kiss their hand so it's it's a bit of an ask really and they wouldn't have any idea what war really is like because they would have been kept very protected from that sort of thing
0: yeah um, the Amer- uh,
1: 1812 what they call the revolutionary war was that
0: 1812 oh gosh you know i think that i know more history of europe than i do the united states and that sounds horrible but i mean i just i enjoyed (laughs) a lot of history when i was over there
1: our history is very australia's history is the same it's very short Mm -hmm. and I, i get asked all the time why i don't write australian historicals and honestly there's I mean, I lived in England as a child, so that countryside is very much mapped on my brain.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: said, my novel's set in Lancashire, and I don't think I've ever been to Lancashire. I have a, one of my best friends is from Lancashire, and, and the whole time I was writing the story and the, I worked, the sequel I just finished, I ring her up at random moments or she wakes up to 17 texts from me going, would this plant grow in the woods <laughs> at this time of year? <laughs> and what kind of weather are we talking about in April? Is there going to be a lot of rain because I need there to be a couple of clear days? He's got to go racing it. Uh, just give give me the gist that's and she's crazy. like oh for god's sake i haven't lived there in years i'm like yes but you did live there so i need to know
0: that's too funny
1: <laughs> so you know it, it, it's it's fun having a writer friend they're also the kind of people that wake you up at odd hours go so if i fed you a, this poison berry and then you drank this what would happen to you do you think how would you feel <laughs> like go away i'm
0: yeah <laughs> It's funny when you talk about the research part of it because I uh, I had this this crazy idea and I had to call my nephew this morning and ask him a question about something because I, I have no idea about this this genre. It has to do with zombies and apocalypse stuff. And I'm like, I, I'm so far out of my lane, but he grew up watching all that. And then you talk about the characters in your brain. And my disclaimer to everybody is... Um, no, I don't hear them audibly. I just the, I understand the uh, stuff like that but I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to ask you uh, how did you feel when you published your first book? What did it feel like?
1: i It's quite interesting because I pitched it at a conference in 2019 and then even though it took me two about two months to get it, you know that I felt it was a good read
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then it took me four more months to actually send it to the publisher who asked for it. And that was just anxiety and going, oh my god, oh my god, so I get, I have a massive anxiety attack every time I know someone's going to read my books. So if I know, if I've made one sale, if I can see I sold something, and I'm excited, I'm like, wow, someone's going to read me. I'm still freaking out. I'm still freaking out. Um, and for, to know it's an industry professional that's going to read me, mm. like, <laughs> um, that that freaks me out even more. Um, and so I was excited, but also ins- incredibly um, anxiety-ridden by the idea that um, an editor was going to go through my book, never mind that I'd already gone through like three editors before I submitted it. That was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not remotely pressured. So if an editor comes to me and says that entire chapter sucks, it's got to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Like
1: I don't care. So if I, my, my understanding is they're all there to help me make it a better book. There are some things that I fight for and I'm like, if they're not seeing why I put that in there, then I haven't done it right. Or maybe they're right and it needs to go and all of those conversations. Editing is a much more collaborative process than I thought it would be with a, with a publisher's editor, I mean, um, it's always a collaborative process with my editors. but um, um, And I was just, oh my God, actually, it's going out into the world, my actual book, you know, the thing I worked on for a year. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it was just like, oh, what if people hate it? What if they don't get it? What if they're rude about my, my characters? What if they're rude about the romer? Um I, yeah, so I actually, one of the reviews is one star, one of them, just one. And I read the comment and I showed it to my writing mentor and she said, yeah, your writing's a lot of things, but and they described it as a fluffy puff piece. And she said, it's a lot of things, it's not fluffy. I'm like no, I know that, and she said, and honestly, I never read my reviews, and you shouldn't either.
0: You know, they say when you get a one-star review, you've made it. Like uh, when you, your you. first bad review That's means good. you've made it.
1: But but the bottom line is now when I see a, a, a review like that, like I just had a, a, sh- a novella published in a collection in July, Regency um, novellas all based around a, a London club, and. Um, one of the reviews was one star and my take on one stars a year later past my first publication is um, well, at least they, they bought it and they read it. Yay. They bought yeah. it, and they read it. Yay. So, you know, maybe it's one star, but they still bought the book. So,
0: right. Yeah. You know, I find a lot of authors suffer from uh, imposter syndrome or a lot of anxiety. Like they have this undying need to write. You, it's inside of you. You can't just not yeah. write I, it feels-
1: I became quite depressed and quite difficult to deal with. I was, it, it's, I don't know. I imagine that's, yeah, I have to do it.
0: Yeah. And, it, and it's hard. It's like you have to do it, but yet you're scared to share the work, but you can't not share the work at the same time. So how do you balance the the fear with the not being able to stop? <laughs> yeah.
1: Here's the thing about fear. Um, I've done a lot of work on fear because I, I spend a lot, I, I have anxiety, I have PTSD. So I decided a while ago that I could, one of my friends was like, I couldn't live with fear like you do. Like I have to get rid of it and I, I can't get rid of it. So what I tried to do is use it. Um, I think it curls up by my feet now. It's a, it's allowed to have a place. It's not allowed to run the show. Mm. Um, so. I, I think fear is often a signpost um, to something it doesn't necessarily have to be an accurate signpost, but it's, it, it's a clue. And if I look at it that way, I'm like, okay, it's here to tell me something. It doesn't mean what I'm doing is a mistake. It just means, uh, honestly, if I let fear stop me get like, because I have PTSD, I'm constantly anxious and constantly scared. And if I let that stop me, I wouldn't do a damn thing. I wouldn't get up. I wouldn't, and and I couldn't live like that, and that that's not living anyway. Yeah. So I'm like, and also I know when I'm avoiding a scene, it's because I'm scared to write it. Um, the first book I ever wrote, there's an assault scene, and it, it's not a romance, mind you. And there are romances that include those sort of what mm-hmm. uh, plot lines, not mine. Um, and I I wrote around it, and the first thing my mentor said, she said, "You're ducking this scene. What's wrong? Just." The reader needs to see this, so you need to show it. So you need to get over whatever's blocking you, whatever's scaring you about it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with external fear. Like, if I'm scared to show my work to someone, I probably should. Wow. Worst that can happen is you'll find that you could have done it better. And honestly, I think that about my work all the time. Every time I open, always a princess.
0: <laughs> Bless you. Sorry.
1: I'm allergic to my own makeup, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> every time I read a page or a paragraph, I'm mentally editing and tweaking and adjusting anyway. Mm -hmm. So like I can't look at my work without rearranging it. And that's because I'm a better writer now than a year ago because I've been writing all that time. Yeah, I I think it's impossible to do something constantly and not get better at it. I hope so anyway.
0: Yeah, I think it's super powerful that you said, the fear has a place, it's just not allowed to run the show. I think that you identified that the fear is there and you don't have to ignore it, and you don't have to uh, try to squelch it down. Okay, you're there. Show me what 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 you're doing, but you're not allowed to take control of what I'm doing. So you you allow it to be there. You say, okay, you're there. You can you can hang around, but I'm in charge here. Um, and that that's super powerful because you you take control of your life, and you you still allow yourself to to go on and move forward and do things. And i I think that that is super powerful and a lot of people need to to understand that and move move past those fears and continue on their journey because they have so many things to, to share with the world and I mean there's so many readers that we we want to read all the wonderful things you know and then you know you're saying that the editing process is such a collaborative uh, process as well I like that because there are authors that won't don't like to be told that certain things aren't working. They get very offensive, or defensive. Sorry, or offended. Um, and and you work collaboratively with your editor, and I, I like that because I think that gives you room to grow and and write fantastic books. And I'm I think that that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful when people can collaboratively work together to make something even better. Are you writing full time, or is it? Um, part-time
1: it was uh it was part-time and then last year during the first sort of lockdown in sydney um i got down from my day job i worked in finance for 15 years it's a rather odd mm-hmm. juxtaposition that's why i have a pen name um, because <laughs> the whole finance and uh, uh sexy romance didn't quite go together yeah um, also i like having a pen name i don't particularly think my my personal life is relevant to my books i mean bits of a fall in there. In Always a Princess, there's a little girl, and I have a little girl, and there's no doubt that the little girl in the story is based on her, but my little girl is not the internet's business. Um.
0: Yeah, I feel you. (laughs)
1: Um, So, um, And then, so yeah, I was writing full-time for a year, and I have to say, I really enjoyed that, but I just bought a business three weeks ago, so it's a bit crazy at the moment, because I have the sequel to Always a Princess in the Works, a new novella coming out a graphic novel under in production. I, that's, I finished my part of that. It's the artist on it now. And yeah, and that's all I'm like, I'm struggling now that I'm working full time again to find room, um, especially Mm -hmm. now that we're doing online schooling. So that's a, that's a trip. Um, And every time I look at it, that's another big fear moment for me. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to get this done? I'm like, okay, okay. Like i really should be giving up sleep but that's not going to produce a good work <laughs> um,
0: you're like okay how many hours of sleep can i cut out and still function and not be a total space cadet <laughs>
1: yesterday i was a bit of a zombie because i did three 5 a.m starts in a row and I actually said to my my kid yesterday i said sweetie um mom's gonna lie down have a nap after lunch i felt like like an 80 year old crone but whatever and then i <laughs> it's fine
0: it's
1: fine so Um, i i bought a talent agency which is great because i have all these lovely actors now that i i'm like now i can do audio books with actors who are stuck in sydney lockdown with literally not no work but very little work because so many are on pause and i'm like they can do my books some of them have british accents australia's got a lot of english accent people so um and some of them sound fabulous it's 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 lovely
0: absolutely and people love listening to that accent on especially those um those uh historical romance time pieces when they're set in uh, yeah
1: yes it's interesting you mentioned zombies i watched pride and prejudice zombies yesterday because i was going to be speaking about it on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) and and it's the second time i've watched it i just thought i should watch it again just as a refresher and gee it's fun i mean you know I, my, my daughter wandered through the room and she sat down to watch. Normally I wouldn't let her watch that sort of thing, yeah. but in the daytime it's okay because she won't have bad dreams if it's like early in the day. And the whole time I'm sitting next to her going, that's not in the book, that's not in the book. And she turned to me she goes, I don't care, Mum. It's way better. She <laughs> she tried to read Pride and Prejudice. I think, mm-hmm. you know, she wanted to see what the Regency was. I said, Read this. She got about three chapters in. She said, Oh, I can't stand that, Mrs. Bennett. I'm not I'm not doing that.
0: There's...
1: So yeah, she watched this and said, "Oh, this is much better." I don't know why they didn't write it like this in the first place. I'm like, I don't think that would have occurred to James. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there would there wouldn't have been a movie if it wasn't for the book. <laughs> That's what we just have to remind <laughs> them. <laughs> so what I, does I'm Luke... I,
1: I, I I keep hearing rumors about a sequel, and I think that might be fun.
0: Yeah, definitely. Some of those you just have to. You have to keep going. Like some things were just meant to continue and and continue and just never end.
1: You know, gamers have Fast and the Furious, and I want this.
0: Yeah. As as a historical romance
1: reader, I want this to become my Fast and Furious, up to six, six sequels or whatever they've got for that other franchise.
0: I don't know. They've got a lot, but I still watch the Fast. I watch every single one of them over and over. I've
1: I've seen. I I saw about the first four, and I kind of got away from me because if there's too many, I honestly lose track. But um, I, I did enjoy a lot of the early ones. Um, and the other one I liked while I was in that frame of mind of enjoying that rush, rush ride. And they are, they're such adrenaline rides, and that's why they're fun. Um, Gone in 60 Seconds was another one.
0: Mm, that With I Nicolas Cage. Mm.
1: Yes, and I think Angelina Jolie's in that. I could be wrong.
0: I can't remember that. I just know him.
1: I, I just remember the character with long blonde dreadlocks, and I thought that was a particular look that I thought was cool. Not one I would ever wear, but it
0: would I would try, and I totally wouldn't be able to pull it off.
1: <laughs> yeah. I had lock, it's an accident. I, don't, do that. I really don't wear
0: that well. You probably got on a riding sprint and wasn't able to stop because you just was like really focused. <laughs>
1: I, I admit. On, on, on If I get two or three days to myself, I... By the end of that, there's there's empty cups. I don't even I don't even eat really. I drink a lot of soup because it's easy. And I don't have to really stop to do much with soup. So I heat it up, you know, um, and in a cup, and I don't even have to find a spoon. And so by the end of three or four days of me on a bit of a writing binge, there's empty cups and glasses and bowls everywhere, and the house looks like hell. And yeah. Um there was a a famous Sydney artist who passed away a few years ago called Margaret Mm -hmm. Ollie. And she she used to say, a creative mind does not have time for housework. Put out more flowers; it makes the house smell better. It's <laughs> not <I still laughs> quite meant that bad, but I take her point.
0: I'm going really, to the store. You really can't
1: do You really can't. If you're the kind of person that doesn't want, you know, a towel out of a towel to be hanging out of place, then I don't know where, I don't know how you people create and run perfect-looking houses at the same time unless they have help. So.
0: You know, um, uh, my kids are both in college and they have both told me, Mom, you're not the same as you were when we used to live here. Because it wasn't until um, after they left that I really started writing and getting really into my career, and um, and when I created the author's porch as well to talk to other authors and do promotions for authors. So and I said, well, you know, I just don't have time to do all the stuff I used to because I was very particular. Everything had a place and couldn't be dust anywhere and I was just but now That's it's true. just like I don't have time for all that. You're absolutely yeah. right.
1: I don't think a lot of people who don't write don't realize how labor intensive writing actually is. My my dad actually said to me, how long can it possibly take? Like you my dad is an engineer and honestly, <laughs> oh. I'm like, dude. You, you my friend works in film and she would never ask that stupid question but i get asked <laughs> it. A lot. and actually there was a whole thread i'm just remembering now on nora robertson's blog which i read
0: um me too
1: where, where she was talking about the sequel to a story and saying i meant to have it out by such and such but i've just had to fix something up plot wise or anyway she was explaining why one of her new releases was a little and this reader came on And basically said I really don't see why it takes so long and I'm like you're schooling (laughs) Nora Roberts and how long it takes to write good luck with that one mate (laughs) taking on the queen bold bold and unbright but you go right ahead yeah Um, and 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 Laura was like you really can't be telling me how long it takes to write one of my own books and I I know authors who say I publish four books a year I'm like not not me I I could, if I did absolutely nothing else, do four novellas or two full-length books if I did absolutely nothing else. And by absolutely nothing else, I meant have no life. Like, yeah. don't even go to the store and get food.
0: <laughs> None of that.
1: Um, I will say this for lockdown, it's, it's not been too bad for creativity.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people that have um, been able to do a lot creatively because of the lockdown, so I think it has been good for creatives in that sense obviously we never want the lockdown to um take be a part of our lives the way it has been it's not been a blessing that way but for creatives it's allowed us to creatives across you know graphic designers just people that want to create it's given a platform uh, that we never had before so it's definitely a good thing so I do have a question for you if you had advice to give to an author you know somebody that wants to become an author somebody that has these grandeur ideas or has something what would be your one piece of advice that you say this is going to be the nugget that you really need to know about this world before you make the decision for it to be your life um
1: it's a good question there's lots of things i've learned but one of the most important one is and this is a hard one for me is to tr- firstly to trust your instincts for your story because only you know where that's leading you even the people who help you who are very experienced are not in your head and frank you know so much of the, if you're writing on organic matter like i do and like it sounds like you do a lot of it happens inside your head hmm Um, And also um, trust your reader, which means you don't have to over, I I used to do this a lot and I still do it in early drafts and I have to go, I'm I'm aware of it. So go back and pull it out. I over explain. I like, I'll I'll tell a scene and then I'll show the scene. And once you've written the scene in a, this terrible English, a showable way, you can pull out that exposition or that description of what is basically a scene. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you don't need both. Your reader, you, if you've written it well and you're drawing the reader into your world, they will get a lot of the stuff that you think you need to make it doubly clear for them. So you, do, you can trust your reader, especially historical romance readers who know the genre so well and they know what to expect and they trust you to deliver it. So they don't need you to tell them that you're going to deliver it. They they believe you.
0: Yeah.
1: Or they wouldn't keep reading. So, you know, um, you don't have to say he, he's in love with her. Because it's a romance, they know that, <laughs> 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 or whatever genre you're writing. But um, yeah. you can trust the read- readers of genre fiction to know their genre, and you, yeah. you don't have to um, overdo that explanation, which is one of mine. And that saves you word count because I'm an overwriter. I always overwrite an editor back. So yeah, meeting the word count's never an issue for me. It's more, it's more bringing it in under, if I can.
0: Yeah. So trust your instinct and trust your reader. I like those. Yeah, That's very good advice. And um, who's been your biggest support system through your journey in authoring?
1: Um, I, I use a wonderful mentor called Liesl Layton, who runs mentoring programs, and I recommend her. Um, she writes paranormal fiction as well um, mm. in the YA uh, range which it's good that she doesn't write directly in my genre, but she's very experienced at reading it. Um, mm-hmm. And I met her through Romance Writers of Australia and she's been a huge help, but also just the writing community. Um, Romance Writers of Australia has been fabulous. Um, I'm supposed to be at their annual conference right now, like it was meant to be this week, mm. which, is, which has been a bit of a downer because it's the 30th anniversary of the organisation. We were going to have a bit of a a party, but that's, they pushed it out to December because they didn't want to cancel them. I think, I'm hoping we'll be able to, it's literally the only other time I meet other writers face-to-face is conferences and things. Mm -hmm. Um, My family have slowly come on board. Like in the beginning, I didn't even tell anyone I was getting published. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mention it to my, I mean, externally I did, but not to my family because they've always thought my writing was something weird I did. Or I (laughs) incommunicado for three or four days and they're like that's so selfish it's so rude so i just didn't tell them and now that i've got oh the third the third publications come out and there'll be another one before between now and christmas and another couple next year they can see that i'm building up this little body of work and they're a bit more serious about it now yeah. um it took them a long time like my book came out last year we've been in and out of lockdown since then and only now are they sort of starting to read it. <laughs> Of yeah. early years ago my mum read it and my dad was one of the first okay. all credit to my my, my dad who's nearly 80 not mm. particularly romantic and, <laughs> and he was one of the first people to buy my book and he actually rang me he said I'm just ringing to tell you I don't hate it Oh, said, I expected to not like it because you know romance not my thing <laughs> um, you know that my, my dad loves military history. He, he he's a bol- he volunteers at, at, at a military museum talking about the navy. So th- that's his mindset.
0: Yeah, like, I like your dad already.
1: <laughs> and he's like, and I've 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 messaged all the blokes. That's all his his mates that he hangs with. And he's like, I, and I've told them they've all got to read it and leave a review. I'm like, and how was that? He goes, I'll make them do it. Don't you worry. So all these 80-year-old blokes are reading my historical regions and I think that's just fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) He's made a little club out out, out of guys that are normally reading, you know, World War II U boat stories.
0: That's the sweetest.
1: Yeah. So um, I think that's amazing because I can't imagine anyone um, else of my dad's ilk voluntarily reading one of my books. I could be wrong, but I couldn't imagine it. Um, and so he's literally walking around like a staff sergeant going, my daughter wrote this, so you better read it. My daughter wrote this. And he goes, I've gone it and every time he pops it, it doesn't now because it doesn't go anywhere. Um, he goes in and demands they stock my book. and so oh, he's, man. he's a little one-man PR campaign.
0: <laughs> your dad needs to adopt every author. I think that your dad is uh, every author's hero right now. And I think that's super, you know, I find that it's about 50-50 um, if the family supports the author. Uh, about 50% of authors have a huge family support and the other 50%, their family basically doesn't even know they write. <laughs> so it's it's about 50-50 in the world. And I always like to ask that question, who your biggest support system is, yeah. because I know um, with with writing, it, it's a mental thing and sometimes it can play, you know, on your Uh, mental health the support that you get so man, that story about your dad just tickles me pink and i think that i'm gonna smile for the rest of the day picturing your dad walking around with this book going read it read it (laughs) i love that so um i have all of your links here in the comments for people to go and find you but let me ask you this where is the one place that they're going to find you the most where's the one place that you visit the Uh, most probably
1: on my blog okay um and I, I have a newsletter that comes out once a month, uh, yeah, which I have to write today because <laughs> it comes out. Um, it's either, it's either, the last day of the previous month or the first day of the next month, depending on which time zone you're in. Um, <laughs> so, and, and yeah, so that usually tells you where I'm going to be. So I'll be mentioning this in there and, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, the blog is, um, I, I blog twice a month, once, once, the same time as a newsletter and once in the middle of the month. And I've been playing around with varying that content uh, lately. I had a new release, which I talked about in my last one, and and then sometimes I'll do a little historical fact. I've been researching Queen Anne Pistols. I'll probably do one about that because that's a part of the little bits I come across in my research. I found this fabulous book, which I picked up the other day, Of regents and slang, so I like I like to put in a Regency slang term. Some of them, most of them, are swear words, but you wouldn't know it because they sound so polite.
0: I love that. (laughs) (laughs) My
1: favorite one, which is in Always a Princess, is "kalslava," which is how they said "bull." bull Nice. In, in, it's like that's just you know. If I hear that "kalslava" repeated, you will regret it, and I think that is a.
0: I'm going to have to get signed up to your newsletter because I'm going to need those words and start using them. And no one's going to know. I'm going to love
1: it. Because I think it's really important that we all learn how to swear like British aristocrats
0: from the 1800s. Swear politely. (laughs)
1: Exactly. They did. They'll be like, I disagree with you, sir, and I'll be shooting you at dawn. But they do it so nicely.
0: Oh, it's lovely. I love it. I've had such a blast talking to you, Clive. And I think that we're I, I would love to talk to you again sometime. But before we go, I want to give you the floor for any last words that you have before we head out any anything coming up? Um, anything that you want to share with the audience uh, for your author career or your personal career?
1: Um, for my author career and anyone who, who wants to write if you're writing already, you're already an author. It doesn't matter what how other people define it as long as you feel it you are um and the voices in your head that say you're not very good or you're not a real writer because all you're doing is a blog about your favorite dc comic of course it's dc not marvel we're <laughs> we're a dc house here um or whatever it is um it doesn't matter if you're writing you're a writer um and if it, you feel like a writer, then you are one. And the voices in your head, that's just that's just fear. That's just people's naysaying and none of that matters because none of that's you. That's I call them head demons and mine are there all the time. And I'm just like, yeah, and you just turn it down. Turn it down like a radio and keep writing. Just keep writing. Um, I also, when it comes to the stories, the reason I write romance is because I firmly believe that love is an undeniably – powerful force that cannot really be abused Mm. if it feels feels that then it probably isn't love and I Mm. think the reason it stands so large in our world is because it it, it's proper love pure love is incorruptible and Mm. there's nothing else like that there's nothing else and that's why I say it takes courage it's that moment of um bearing yourself to someone else and trusting they will. I read a really great quote, which I come back to again and again, That it says, love is giving someone else the power to destroy you and trusting they won't. Now, sometimes that trust is misplaced, but the courage it takes to do that, to, to bear yourself to someone else, is something that every character in my book has, the main character, has to do at some point if they want the love. Mm. And if in real life you do that and the other person does destroy you because of it then they haven't really destroyed you because the courage it took to do that in the first place is still there. They can't take the boy. So yeah, love begins with you and you loving you and only then will you be strong enough to show the world who you are. And that's what um, that's what I do through my writing. But I think lots of people do it in lots of different amazing ways. And everyone is lovable. Absolutely everybody.
0: That is true. I love that. That does take a lot of courage. I got chills from that. Thank you for sharing that. I oh, love is such a powerful thing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your literary works of art, your light in this world, the, the the wonderful stuff that you're putting into it. I hope that we do have a chance to talk again. Thanks for being with us here today. Everybody go and check out Clive's work in the comments. All of her links are there. So you're able to go and check out her books, uh, follow her career, sign up to her newsletter so you can get the slang words and politely curse people out <laughs> with us. Cause we're going to start doing it like every day and no one's going to know what we're saying, but that's okay because we're going to sound like two little peaches. So guys, um, we're going to be back on thir- No, What's today? Saturday. See, I'm all over the place on the day of the week. I do this quite often. We'll be back on Tuesday for another Meet the Author. Then Thursday, uh, the Bombshell Book Review has a new host and co-host. Uh, Nicole and Lisa Higgins will be hosting the show. And they will be reading Alaska Inferno by Lolo Page. So you guys will be having that. And we are so blessed to have Clive here with us today today. Make sure you check out her books, and we will see you guys back here on Tuesday. Bye, Clive. I'll see you later. Bye, Bye-bye. everybody. Thank you so much, CJ. Bye. Thanks.